What's up, guys? I'm EJ. Thank you guys for checking out this edition of the Uncommitted Podcast. This is episode 10, so a little bit of a mini milestone for us reaching uh, the 10-episode mark here on this basketball recruiting podcast. I'm joined, of course, with my co-host, Kendall. Kendall, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. A really fun conversation regarding some of the major programs, some of the big moves they've made regarding Duke and Kentucky, um, some other big commitments we saw over the past month. And I think a, a little bit of a, of a mini resurgence maybe happening to a, a previous power, a past power uh, in our local area. So I got a lot to talk about today. I'm excited to have you back on. What are you excited to talk about today? Yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting topics. Um, you know, I think coming off the heels of our last episode where we talked about the, you know, commitment of Imani Bates and Jalen Duran at Memphis – uh, that was quite the message that was sent to the recruiting world uh, from Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers, and I want to I, I want to say that John Calipari uh, sent back a little message of his own, of of, uh, of his own right uh, in the last in the last week or two with with uh, the commitments Dave Lance Dave landed. So I'm excited to talk about those, uh, and I'm also excited to talk about Duke. I think we touched on them a little bit in our last show, but they they've since got another commitment, and we we will really get a chance to dive into the. Uh, you know the the early tenure of John Shire as Duke's uh, coaching waiting. Yeah, I think in many ways Kyle Perry might have been like you know, you know twenty twenty one may have been yours, Penny, but twenty twenty two is mine. I think that was kind of the statement that we saw from uh, Coach Cal with this uh, recruiting class. Let's get right to it. So uh, it's been a big month for the University of Kentucky as the school notched two major commitments uh, to lift this class to the number one recruiting class in the twenty twenty two. Uh, rankings. So this week, Chris Livingston, a bounty uh, five-star small forward from Akron, Ohio. No, we're not talking about LeBron James. is a different a bouncy small forward from Akron. He announced that he will be joining the Wildcats just this week. Earlier in the month, Shaden Sharp, who climbed up to number one in, uh, in terms of the top uh, 2022 players in both ESPN's rankings and 247 sports rankings. A lot of momentum from, from his standpoint that we talked about who may be that number one player after all the, the shifting and moving with, um, with of course, the guys that went over to Memphis. Uh, Sharp right now taking that mantle at number one. Earlier in the month, he announced that he was going to Kentucky as well. So uh, Big Blue Nation, a lot to be excited about. As if those two guys aren't scary enough, you already got five-star point guard Sky Clark, who committed uh, way last year to Kentucky. Um, and, and there's several other top players that are still in the hunt um, in terms of Kentucky trying to trying – to, Perhaps bring them in as well. Yes. Derek Live the second, Carson uh, Wallace, Case two guys. Uh, yeah, those Carson Wallace, two guys that that definitely um, could potentially be uh, wearing that Kentucky blue. So if all goes right, this could end up being Kendall a historic class, which is saying a lot by Kentucky Kentucky standards. But I don't think that would be uh, hyperbole at all. Are you surprised to see the big blue hall? It appears we're 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 heading towards in terms of what Coach Calzman put together. Am I surprised? Oh, <laughs> uh, look, as a guy who, uh, you know, obviously followed John Calipari's career for a long time, as most people, uh, it's hard to say that I am surprised. Um, it, what I'm surprised is that we're asking the question, you know, we kind of have to ask the question, is Kentucky back? And that is not something that you typically ask for a program that, you know, makes the NC tournament almost perennially. Uh, and is an SEC title contender almost perennially. You know, that's something you ask about Texas football or Nebraska football or, you know, I don't know, Indiana basketball. It's not necessarily something you uh, ask about Kentucky basketball. But they 
from they, they there's been a, obviously a little bit of a lull. We've talked about it on this podcast quite a bit. Um, Kentucky fans understand that uh, the days of John Wall and the days of you know De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, the days of Garanti Downs and Earl Well and all these guys that were yeah, top like, three, it's, top it's, four it's guys. Game. It's Patino game. Those guys aren't walking through that door. <laughs> those guys, guys are not walking. Those guys have not been walking through that door for a long time. I mean, the stat we've seen it. We've seen it in the in, in how they finished their seasons the past few years. Yeah, I mean the stat that 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 solidifies that that narrative is that the last before Shaden Sharp, the last top five consensus top five guy that they landed, which was, was Scalabissier in twenty fifteen, and it it feels even longer than that because Scalabissier obviously did not play like a top. Is that the top five guy when he got there? So it's been a really long time, really since Carl Anthony Towns, that they've had a guy that's been a program changer walk in there and have that sort of cachet, you know, from day one. And and that's that's what they're going to have with Shaden Sharp. That's what they're going to have with, with, with uh, Chris Livingston. And like you mentioned, obviously, you know, this class may not be done. To me, what I think echoes is the change in – in, in recruiting for Kentucky is not even, I haven't heard this, you know, narrative. I haven't heard this framed this way, but when you think about Kentucky basketball and I think about the roster they have now, you know, they have some good players. They had a good recruiting class come in, Ty Ty Washington and, and Derek Hopkins on, you know, on the, on the, on the roster uh, or, or uh, Bryce Hopkins rather on the roster. They have a, they have a good team. Um, but, I feel like in that period, the last five, four or five years, for for example, they have they've been able to have guys that have been able to come back for two, three years. You know, look at Keon Brooks, who's coming back now for what is he a junior? You know, and they 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 they're bringing back guys like Lance Ware, who who's, who's coming back from that team last year, and you know Jacob Toppin, who had a, who had a nice year at the transfer last season. They're bringing those types of guys back, and that's not something that that could have happened you know, back in the day because they used to bring in the number one recruiting class. So guys, yeah. if they weren't up to snuff, they had to get out of there, you yeah. know, because they weren't going to get playing time. And I could, I, you know, put pressure. There is a little bit of pressure on the guys on this year's roster to perform. Cause if you don't, you're going to be backing up shade and sharp next year. Right. You're going to be backing up Chris Livingston. You're going to be potentially backing up at Derek Lively, Lively or a case on Wallace. And that's, that's not something that Kentucky basketball has had. In, in half a decade, so yeah. that is and that used to be the the pressure that we saw at Kentucky year in and year out for the guys on that roster. So um, it's a real shift, obviously, in Kentucky basketball. But these are these are two dynamic players. Um, but what, what's your impression? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, in some ways, you know, it's like the evil empire returns. You know, it's empire strikes back deal. I mean, we I don't know how many times we had conversation on this podcast saying, you know, is Kentucky well, I don't think we were even saying is Kentucky's run over. I think we were trying to explain to our audience that Kentucky's run was over, given the kind of success we we saw them have in the beginning of Cal's era, um, and then what we've been seeing recently. Now, this class is a class that one hundred percent, you know, you bring these guys in and you add a couple more pieces, guys who are all content. Again, you talking about Wilds and Lives, you talking about consensus top ten guys. You had those two guys with the guys they already got. You're talking about a national championship contender. There's no conversation of, well, will they make it and how will they do? I mean, you're right in the you're right in the picture. So there's a, a, a great chance for Cal Power to really kind of again kind of have a little bit of a of a renaissance and a resurgence 
over there in in Lexington because it's been some lean years and it's been lean years uh, by their standards to be fair because we know Kentucky standards are super high and they've had some decent years where they made the tournament and won a game or two um, last year obviously was a, a big disappointment with all the stuff that happened with their team and the COVID stuff didn't help as well but this is this is a this is it's it's I can't say I'm surprised but it is a little like you do gasp a little bit you're like wow I, we just haven't seen Kentucky do this i don't know what's changed i don't know um usually you know you can kind of point to something that happens with the program or on the recruiting trail you say okay this thing changed i mean is jai lucas making that much of an impact on the on the recruiting trail i mean he's well, uh, orlando guy. antigua or antigua is back you know is, uh, no, when i when i point back to that that era of Kentucky yeah, basketball true. you know that's about the time when orlando antigua was not a with, with, with an assistant. And oh, yeah, that's a great Orlando point. Orlando Antigua comes back. They also bring in another assistant from Illinois, Chin Coleman. And, you know, on top of Jai Lucas, I mean, Jai Lucas, I mean, obviously the Lucas name in Texas is royalty. Yeah. You know, Jason Wallace, you know, is from Texas. You know he's gonna be. You know he. I mean that 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 I can I can tell you who got Kason Wallace. I'm not I'm not a Kentucky insider. But I can tell you who probably got Kason Wallace if they get Kason Wallace. But, yeah. um. But those, some of those other guys, I mean, you know, I, I think about the Orlando Antigua impact, and this is not something that they've seen in a long time at Kentucky. Yeah, and, and then talk a little bit about these players. Uh, what 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 should college basketball fans and uh, Kentucky fans expect with Livingston and and Sharp and uh, and NBA fans? Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, uh, I mean, we could probably start that conversation at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. What I love about this pairing of adding these two guys to this recruiting class is that it really speaks to the modern game of basketball and what we're seeing now that that teams are liking to do in the NBA. I mean, and, you know, it's not this, you know, not the the buzzword of positionless basketball uh, or the buzz term of positionless basketball, but more so, you know, having these two dynamic two-way wings that are uber athletic, can score the ball at a high volume, you know, doesn't it remind you of what the LA Clippers are building, you know, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, building your team around two, you know, dynamic two-way wings, doesn't it remind you what the Boston Celtics has built with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, also two dynamic, athletic, you know, two-way, high-scoring, you know, you know, high-scoring, high-volume scoring type of wings, and that's what Kentucky is building right now with Jaden Sharp and Chris Livingston. When they step up on the floor, they're going to have probably the two most athletic players on the floor yeah. because these are the two most athletic, two two most bouncy or two bounciest players in this class. And they're both going to Kentucky. And they're the two best wing players in this class as well. I mean, you know, you have to be excited if you're a Kentucky fan. Um, it, back in 2005, I may have been concerned about how these two players that overlap in skill set fit. But like I said, nowadays, teams like overlapping skill sets. Yeah. They like having guys that do a lot of the same things yeah. if they can defend. If they're, they can defend and they can play. Yeah. They're good offensive players. They can give me that guy. Give me, give me well, 20 of right. those guys. Exactly. And they can play multiple positions. So um, do I think that these guys are, you know, do I think these guys are both going to – they're not going to have 20 points in college, but there's going to be a ton of highlights. Um you know, I think that this will be closer to what they had with um, 
you know, the, the, the Malik Monks and the, the Jamal Murray's and the guys that um, were really big time scorers and also guys that could that can make that can make uh, highlight plays. So I think Kentucky fans should be excited. And I think these two guys, regardless of how else they build the class, I think these two guys are the are going to be the best two team, best two players on next year's Kentucky team. And it's funny because, you know, you talk about versatility, versatility and I mean, Livingston is just like, I mean, he's just so long, so rangy. Uh, I love the way he gets after it defensively in terms of how he can get in the passing lanes and really cause havoc with those long arms. In some ways reminding me a bit of a, of a, of a young plastic man, Stacey Augman uh, from back in the day. He reminds me a lot of Jalen Brown, man. Mm-hmm. Like Jalen Brown now. Like he's more skilled, I think, than Jalen Brown was in high school. Um, you know, he's not maybe as skilled as Jalen Brown is now, but they like a more raw version of Jalen Brown yeah. now. Yeah, you know? and then and That's then sharp. Exciting. Yeah, and sharp is a is, is you know he's a he's a bucket getter. You know, he he's the kind of guy where um, you can get him the rock. He can isolate. He can you know throw his body around around the basket. He's excellent finishing around the basket, as you you mentioned. So you adding these two, these two kind of athletes with who they may put together, Clark running the one is scary hours right now in, in Lexington, and it, can, it, may and, and, get, and, it, may, it may only get worse for other teams in the next few months with the other other guys. And with Shaden Sharp man. soon as well. With with Shaden Sharp, he's a guy that really flew under the radar a long you know for a long time Definitely. in his high school career. Uh, he played for a program in Canada. You play that you know. R.J. Barrett came out of, and, you know, Jamal Murray, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you know, Josh Primo, and they, you know, they have, they, I think they have a lot of, a lot of weight, a lot of pull in the Kentucky, or not in the Kentucky landscape, but just in the basketball landscape in general. Yeah. I, you know, I think about even, we're, we're up both NBA draft guys, I think about Josh Primo getting drafted as early as he did, makes me wonder if, you know, that had anything to do with, you know, the the background that he's coming from and the, you know, the program that he's coming from and, you know, the success that guys that guys that have come out of that program and come out of the Canadian basketball system in general have had. Um, Shaden Sharp feels like he may be the next one. And obviously, Kyle Perry had a lot of success with Shea Gillis-Alexander, who's another sleeper kind of guy. Shaden Sharp, obviously not a sleeper anymore, but was at one point. And now, you know, is going to step into Kentucky and may exceed even my expectations. Cause I, you know, I say he's not going to average 20 points, but I don't know. You know I mean? He, he's may, he may wind up being like the closest thing we've seen to like Vince Carter, uh, you know, at, <laughs> you know, once we, by the time we get to the draft and we're doing comps, you know, you know, two years from now, like we may be saying this guy might be the next Vince Carter. So yeah, again, again, also exciting. <laughs> if I'm saying, if I'm comping yeah. guys to Jalen Brown and Vince Carter, it's a good way to start your recruiting class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of smiles over there in Lexington right now. Let's head over now to Durham, where big things are happening there as well this summer. Um, we know, of course, it's a big season with Mike Krzyzewski getting ready to coach his final season at Duke. Uh, the post-Coach K Blue Devils will be led by assistant coach John Shire, and they're getting a really good boost out of what they what, what they were able to, to, to do this summer on the recruiting trail. So earlier this month, uh, Illinois guard Jaden Shute, he committed to Duke. He joins an already strong class that includes, of course, Tariq Whitehead, uh, Kyle Filipowski. Uh, they both committed to Duke over the summer. So, Kendall, we've spoken at length about the challenges that come with trying to replace a legend, the caliber of Mike Krzyzewski. But does Shire's 
success on the recruiting trail that we've seen in this early period showed that maybe he may be just fine, at least in the short term, in terms of following Coach K here? Um, so in terms of in terms of replacing Coach K, I mean, I feel like this is this. I mean, this is an awesome sign because I feel like when you talk about when the the guy replaces the legend, uh, where does where do the 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 mishaps happen? Where do where do things fall off, and where do things uh, when guys you know fail? Where do where where do they go wrong? And when guys succeed, where do they uh, where do they go right? I say recruiting is a big part of that. And when I look at you know college football, you know when you look at programs like Oklahoma replacing Bob Stoops with Lincoln Riley and Ohio State with Ryan Day and and Urban Meyer or you know Jimbo Fisher a long time ago with Bobby Bowden, like those programs from a recruiting standpoint, you know never they they almost got better <laughs> you know when those guys left if not uh, stayed the same, and you know when I think about programs that you know guys have struggled. Um, sometimes, you know, you have a situation like, you know, uh, like, like USC, you know, when Pete Carroll left and Lane Kiffin came in and, you know, he didn't have the scholarships to be able to recruit at the same level. And that obviously has sanctions and stuff, but you know, when you don't have the talent, you know, that that's not a good place to start. Um, when I look at John, when I look at John Shire, he's got, he's going to have a team next season with, with Derek Whitehead, Kyle Filipowski and Jane Shutt that is Talent-wise, and assuming guys, I think guys. I mean, this this team isn't built like Kentucky, where you're expecting everybody to leave. They're gonna have guys that that are coming back on on this year's roster, yeah. potentially transfers. You know, he's gonna have a team that'll be favored to favorites to win the ACC uh, in his first season from a from a talent perspective. Whether or not they, you know, people have expect certain expectations of Shire as an as an encore coach, but from a but on paper they're gonna they're gonna have the best roster in the ACC. So, yeah. um. This is, I mean, this is an excellent sign, and what I think we see with all three of those guys is, you know, I think we're seeing John Shire's initial recruiting footprint. Um, you know, Derek Whitehead's a kid from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, you know, Filipowski's a kid from from New York, and 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 Jaden Shutt's a kid from Illinois, which is John Shire's backyard you know yeah. and you watch him a little bit, and there's obviously a lot of shades of John Shire's game. Yeah. There's no doubt that was part of the recruiting pitch. Um, I believe Shutt even said that uh, in an interview after he committed. So, you know, I, I think we're seeing not, I mean, look, Duke's a, a national program, you know, coach K, I, I don't know what to make of coach K's recruiting by the end. You know, it was, you know, just pulling the best player. Just, it was, it wasn't about any sort of ge- geography. It was about, yeah. you know, where you ranked in the top 15, but still, you know, I think we saw a lot more of a national footprint as opposed to, you know, selectively recruiting different areas. I think Shire, or they were going to see a little bit more about, I don't think he's going to be able to go to California and just pull anybody or go to Florida and just beat anybody. I think he's going to have to be certain guys. And, you know, Filipowski's AAU program, the New York Rens, uh, is run by, you know, a former Duke player. And that's, that's, that's going to be something to pay attention to when other top guys come out of that program. Um, you know, and again, you know, Whitehead, a kid also in the in, in that tri-state area, and then a kid right right out right in that Illinois area. So, um, great start for John Shire. 
Yeah, I mean, you could do a lot worse than kind of starting your recruiting footprint in the tri-state area and uh, Illinois, Chicago area. Like, yes, you can, there's a lot. You can do a lot. You can do worse. Trust me. <laughs> um, and I think that that's a smart place for Shire to go. Um, I think if there's something that's interesting about when we think about what coach, because you say, you know, what has Duke become in the late Coach K years? And again, a lot of it felt like just plucking whoever the top two or three guys were. But I do think that, like, but who do you Duke, want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, look, like Duke definitely. I feel like over the last, uh, I guess, five to ten years, I'm gonna maybe ten to eight too much, but they definitely had a Hollywood feel um, to who they brought in, how they promoted themselves, like like the the Duke post Kyrie Irving is a different Duke pre Kyrie, in my opinion. Like I think to me, his recruitment right. kind of like and then what they became. You know, all this stuff about the brotherhood right. and being the number one pick, yeah, exactly. right. He was number pick in the draft, of course, but like, 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 to me, like that started this whole brotherhood thing. Being super active on social media, um, they're wearing a, a eight different jerseys throughout the year. Like, it's just not the same Duke. It, like, it's it's not a diss to Duke. I mean, you know, Duke is one of the best programs in the country, but it's clear there was a shift. Duke was the slap your slap the slap the uh, you know the the the, the floor, getting the defensive yeah. stance. And you know it was yeah. it was it was about you know grass graduating four years and yeah, it was just a different balls and, yeah it was a different yeah. it was a different energy it was a different energy it wasn't it it was not the you know we're gonna get the 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 most talented the most flashiest guys and bring them to Durham that's just not what they were about so I'm curious do Kashire was an assistant coach for most of this time so will we see yeah. that same kind of Hollywood feel. But he was also the last, the last class. Of Coach right, that, that maybe wasn't like that. That, that brand. Yeah. That's a great point. Basketball. Right. So, so does he go back to more of what he remembers Duke was as when he was a player, where he was again probably the last generation of the slap the floor and get in defensive stance, Duke, or does he more go in line with, with who he was as a coach in terms of the team just has to be putting together and he helped put together, which is again more of this Hollywood. I mean, to me, Duke, like, rivaled Kentucky. Like, Kentucky was a Hollywood team. And then Duke yeah. kind of, like, took that spot as the Hollywood team. And yeah. they did almost all the same things that Kentucky was doing um, at that time. And they ended up rivaling them, rivaling them and then surpassing them. It, I think that Shire's early coaching years and how he imp- implements his identity is going to be very fascinating because it could go either way or he could try to do a mix of both. I think, I think the first signs we're seeing is – more of the old school Duke, but you know, time will tell. Are there are there concerns when I talk about that geographic footprint? I mean, I mean look, these are only these are only three guys. I mean, these yeah. are all and they're know, all two, great players. Yeah, two <laughs> five stars and a high four star. I yeah. mean, you know, this could be an indication of the recruiting footprint, or it could just be an indication of these are three guys we wanted and we got. Yeah. Um, Derek Lively, obviously, he's going to be a big, you know, guy for them and Kentucky. Uh, I think. That's going to be that would also be that would also be in the northeast area, by the way. Yeah, be another northeast guy. You know, that would be that's going to be a huge message. That's the biggest recruiting battle of the 2022 class is Duke and Kentucky competing for lively because Cal Perry is trying to send his message, and the message is getting out there, but it hasn't been completely sent. It's it's at 75 percent loading, (laughs) but Shire had the chance to come in here and stop. The message from being from fail, yeah. failing to send if he's able to get Derek Lively to go to Duke, and and I mean that class would honestly compete. With it, yeah, Kentucky it would rival with Kentucky's class for the sure. number one recruiting class in the country. So, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a really big deal for that recruitment. But does that trend of recruiting footprint where you're talking about the Northeast and the, the, the Chicago area where he's from, does it concern you that we're not talking about uh, North Carolina where, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's that's where Duke is. And, but let's you be know, honest, though, Kendall. I mean, Coach, Davis K, is... Coach K didn't really recruit North Carolina really much either, at least not yeah. recently. How many great players from North Carolina didn't go to Duke and were upset they weren't recruited by Duke um, over the past ten years or whatever? Like, you yeah, know, like it's it, that's not that's. I mean, that to me is is you're right. Not like that is that something to think about? It is, but I mean, it didn't stop Coach K the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't. I, I can't think of a guy from North Carolina, North Carolina. I know we've had guys from South Carolina, obviously, in Zion. But a guy from North Carolina that was, like, a major impact for Duke in any recent years. I mean, I, I can think of somebody. I, I can't think of anyone. I can't think of anybody. And there have been plenty of good players that have come yeah. out of that, that state. It's funny. I remember when you said that about when they got Paolo Bancaro. We, we talked about it on, on, on The Uncommitted, and you were like, when was the last time they got a guy from – you know, the Pacific Northwest and people in the comments were like, you don't remember Carlos Boozer and Kyle Singler? And it was like, oh, well, look, I mean, you it's know, it's a long time. That's my point. I mean, it's a long time. Yeah. You know, there's, there's definitely guys that they've gotten from, from North Carolina, but yeah. I, it does, doesn't come off the top of my head. It does, yeah. It doesn't come off the top of your head of who those guys be. And I wonder if that's some great player K, we're forgetting, but I wonder if that's coach K's influence where look, Shire, he's just been on the staff for, mm-hmm you know, almost a decade now, like he, he's, if some of his, if some of his coaching influence and his strategy is going to be based off of what coach K like to do. And if coach K said it does, it's not worth it for us, you know, most guys, for whatever reason, if most guys grow up in the state, the they want to go to Carolina, yeah. you know, or they're going to be recruited by some other school, you know, or they want to go to Wake Forest. They want to go to NC state. Um, you know, that's something to consider. I think, Obviously, they're the new coach in North Carolina as well. So this would be an, an interesting time to want to say maybe maybe we do become the flagship school locally, but they also didn't hire a guy that's yeah. from North Carolina. I mean, everything right. I've everything I've ever read about the dynamics of fandom and loyalties in the state of North Carolina is that like Duke is like an outsider within its state. It's very weird. Right. Like so much of this state can't stand Duke. So like. Yes, there are a lot of kids who grew up and want to go to Duke. There are a lot of people who can't stand Duke and will never mess with Duke on any level. So, like, the, I think that that it does come with some disadvantage. I don't know if that ever, like, I don't know like if the coaching thing can change that. Like that that's a death generations of of a, a kind of a standard that's been set where you know Duke is a national program. They're like the Yankees, you know, but like. It's unlike the Yankees, where in their own city or in their own state, like it's it's not necessary. It's not all love. It's definitely not. So like, it's it's always been a weird thing. And every time I've read or, or heard anybody talk about it, I've always been fascinated because I'm like, how does a program with such um, with so much success, so much prestige, seem to kind of struggle with like actually captivating much of the state? But dude, so so I got the least. list of you know that's just what it is. I got the list of, I got the list of North Carolina guys. We missed some. Yeah, guys, I saw you on your phone. You know? I was like, what's he? What's he? Uh, what's he doing here? I'm gonna stretch yeah, this. No, uh, yeah, I'm gonna stretch yeah. his analogy as long as I can before he gets reengaged yeah, in the conversation. Checking my, uh, checking my fantasy roster. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so they've got 
right now in the roster, you got Wendell Moore, who's from Carolina, which, you know. Okay, that's fair. Not the biggest guy, but he was an All-American, obviously. Yes, he's All-American. Uh, but the, the big names that they have gotten, you know, Brandon Ingram was a big one, who I believe actually grew up as a North Carolina fan and, you know, played for Jerry Stackhouse's AAU team. That was a big one that they got. And then uh, Harry Giles was also a big one, um, mm. you know, from Winston, from Winston-Salem. So it's almost uh, so, like, so it seems like, they, like. Now, okay, was, it... was that about. Was that about the footprint or was that about, oh, well, you guys are all top are five guys? Number one, number two guys. But to be fair, though, it seems like Kay may have, in the, towards the end of his term, did get some guys. But, I, I mean, it sounds like there's a big gap because, like, I don't know who who's the next recent guy. Those are very recent guys. Ingram and Giles and obviously Carter. Yeah, yeah it's 2016, 2017. Yeah, and, and then Wendell, that's like, you know. You said Wendell Carter or Wendell Moore? Wendell uh, Moore. Moore, right. Moore was Carter's from my Right, yeah, I thought that was uh, right. So, so yeah, so that's so to me, like I think that there it seems like there's a gap though between like maybe what recent history has been and what the past has been. Yeah, again, and a small number. I'm sure if I check North Carolina, you know, players, NBA players. Oh, there's players, plenty of guys that could have helped do. Yeah, or North time. Carolina five yeah. stars that, are from North Carolina is probably a large portion. Yeah, a lot of um, Tar probably on that. On that you know, like you said, guys like Dennis Smith that for at one point people thought was going to Duke. Ends up at NC State. You know, John Wall, at one point, a guy that Duke wasn't even really recruiting. Wasn't recruiting. You know, right. and was the number one player in the country from North Carolina. And, right. was, and if, you, if you know anything about John Wall even now, he reps North Carolina heavy. Like, you know, so does, so does Dennis Smith. Like, those guys, you know, are both, you know, huge in that, in that, community, in that yeah. state and in that yeah. basketball community, a very basketball-rich tradition. Yeah. Uh, very basketball-rich state. So... The fact that you know neither one of them really uh, considered Duke late in this late down the stretch is, is shows you what what their recruiting philosophy was, and seems like there isn't any switch in that right now. Yeah, it will be fascinating to continue to to, to see how that uh, ends up shaking out. But shout out to Shire uh, for this really strong class that he's able to put together. So yeah, Nolan Smith as well, also yeah. on the staff, is only getting elevated. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to both those, those gentlemen. I want to talk about some other uh, major commitments from this month that definitely caught my eye. Um, so Florida beat out Memphis to nab uh, versatile power four Malik Renew. Um, you know, I, I've I've watched some of this kid. I really like his game. He's extremely skilled, um, ferocious around the basket. I think he's an impact player. Florida, that's a great gab, grab for them. And then Jaden Hood Chifino, uh, pardon me if I mispronounce that name, um, guard, he signs or commits to Mike Woodson's Indiana Hoosiers. So we talked a lot about Indiana and Mike Woodson and how would he be able to recruit. I think this guy is a steal. I, I don't know what he's ranked. I think he's ranked. I saw him in the 20s or you know 25, 26 area. I mean, this guy is a certified bucket. I mean, he... He's, he's not the most athletic guy. He's not necessarily a guy, you know, he's definitely a below-the-rim type of player. But you talk about crafty. Um, you talk about creative. And just, like, I just love the way he just kind of approaches kind of just his offensive game plan and in terms of getting the ball in the basket. I was just thoroughly impressed watching some of his games over the past few days. And I think that these are two guys that I think will make impacts. What do you make of uh, these commitments, both for Florida and uh, IU? Yeah, I mean, starting with uh, Hood Shafino, I mean, huge get for Mike Woodson. Um, he's going to be the centerpiece of that class, and I think he's a guy that Indiana fans are going to they're going to love this guy because I think so too. Um, like you said, 
a, a guy that just really knows how to play the game, knows how to put the ball in the basket. Um, it's going to be, I mean, he was, he was the guy on his AU team, team Thad out, out of, out of Tennessee. Um, you know, he's a big, strong physical guard who can, who can score at all levels. Um, you know, he can handle the, he can handle the rock. He can play off the ball. Uh, and you know, he's a guy that, you know, I think about, obviously think about someone like Romeo Langford who went to, who was last at Indiana and did not have the year that, uh, Indiana fans would have hoped, uh, he, 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 he would have had, uh, that was a player that was a lot more raw, you know, in, in the way he, in the way he went about his business and it's still sort of raw, uh, in NBA terms, you know, Huchifino is a guy that's going to come in and be, you know, at least he's college very, ready, very big and ready. Yeah. He's very, yeah, very polished. polished from day one. And, you know, he's not going to have any real transition, I don't think. Um, the question is just going to be, what kind of talent is he surrounded by? And, you know, Mike Woodson is recruited well. You know, they're going to have a pretty good roster this season. And we'll see, obviously, the transfer portal for school of Indiana is going to be a big um, – it's going to be a big tool. Uh, it's also going to be, you know, something they're going to have to – they're going to have to, gonna have to keep guys. But, yeah, they got to yeah, gonna stay yeah. off and keep guys. But uh, that will also be an opportunity for them to improve their talent pool because – Obviously, schools like Kentucky and and Duke and you know Memphis are you know gobbling up all <laughs> all of the top ten, top fifteen impact players. So you're gonna have to use the transfer portal uh, to 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 get your guys, and that honestly may be a better way of building your team. I mean, t- a team like Kentucky is gonna have all freshmen next year, um, whereas if Indiana builds their team around Huchifino and guys that are returning and a couple of transfers from other Power Five programs, and now all of a sudden you have a team that's veteran. You have a team that has a, a stud freshman and a team that has a chance to really to really do some things in the Big Ten. So uh big get for them. And, and like you said, Renal, uh, a kid that um, I know Memphis really wanted. I know Florida State really wanted him. Mm-hmm. And so for Florida to be able to, to nab him against two schools that, you know, recruit, recruiting, are recruiting yeah. powers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah recruiting powers at this point. Um so to keep him uh, in state and to keep him at 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 Florida is a is a huge get for them. And Mike White, a program that has been, you know, in a little bit of a malaise. You know, yeah, not say that. you know they've been good. They've been in the tournament pretty much every year. But uh, they're a program that also wants to compete for national championships. This is a this is a very good start. A little like a poor man's kind of bleed cousins kind of any game, like you said. Mm-hmm. Really good offensive player. Really forced down low. Um, and I think has a lot of room to grow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think you had a good uh, kind of taking the temperature there of the Florida program because, you know, there was a time when Billy Donovan was there where they were winning national championships back to back years where it felt like you know, Florida. We talk about people having their runs or teams having their runs. It felt like you know Florida was here to stay. It's just like a, a perennial national power that you know every year they're gonna have a chance to win national championship and. Um, we're, I mean, we're a long way from that. I mean, Florida has not been at that level in a long time. They've had some good seasons that have ended in disappointment in the tournament. They've had some seasons where they had high expectations and didn't play as well. And then they, when they get to the tournament, they're a lower seed, so they get bounced first or second round. Um, they've had years like, you know, last season where, you know, they, they did they had a pretty good season. They, they overcame the terrible situation with Keontae Johnson. You get a 15 seed in the second round. You think, okay, you know, we got Trey Mann balling. Uh, maybe we can make this, you know, uh, 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 you know, a, a great run here. Another elite eight run, yeah. elite sweet sixteen, maybe elite eight run, and then you know you can't beat all Roberts, you know. So 
So Mike White is kind of in this weird spot, I think. You know, he they again, the most time they're in the tournament, they're a competitive team. Um, I'm wondering with that administration and that coaching staff, you know, is that enough right now? I feel like Florida as an athletic school is kind of in a weird spot. Like, because football was the same way. You know, football, we thought they would just be in it every year during the Urban Meyer stuff. And they haven't, they haven't yeah. been at that level in a long time. And it seems yeah. like they're kind of uh, stuck in the mud a little bit. Again, not bad enough to where, you know, oh, we got to rehaul everything. But I do kind of wonder. It's uh, more defensible in football when you're competing against Alabama. Right. And, uh, and, and they, you know, but Kentucky's been, been competing down. with Kentucky, and Kentucky's been down. They, they haven't, he hasn't <laughs> yeah. seen that yeah. kind of juggernaut. Like, Rick Barnes came in to a Tennessee program that you want to talk about being stuck in the mud and just turning your tires. I mean, they had different coaches and, and just kind of yeah. not really doing anything. He comes in, and they're immediately, you know, uh, a SEC contender, you know. So, so you know, we haven't Arkansas. quite seen that with Florida. Arkansas, you know, I mean, yeah, Arkansas, Alabama. I mean, last just last year we saw two programs come out of nowhere. Yeah. Now they're, they're, they look like they're here to stay. So I, I do think this was kind of important for, for, for uh, White. One, because uh, I think Renal can ball. I really think this guy is yeah. going to be an impact player. But I think that they kind of kind of turned the tide, you know, because they, 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 this is a, I mean, look, this he's is been a, there for a while now. This is not, a, you know, a new coach who's been there for two years. I mean, he's been there for, no, you know. No, all those guys that we named. I want to say all those guys that we named, maybe besides Barnes, but even Barnes, I think all those guys got there after Mike White. Yeah, I think so, like, Barnes did too. Yeah, yeah. Billy Donovan's been gone for a while now, so right. you know he's been there. He's been there for a long time, and again, they, I mean, they went to win the league eight at one point, so they're not with Chris Chioza. So they've they've had success, but I think last year, really the last few years, is when the Florida fans you started to hear chirping of, is it time to move on? I mean, Mike Miller is a guy that I think. A lot of Florida fans have thought about it and said, look, he coached at Memphis. You know, he's, a, he's an alum. The alum thing is hot yeah. now in college basketball. You know, just hire the, hire the next best alum from the NBA. And, you know, look, I mean, that would – and Mike Miller, as a Memphis fan, I can I can attest, can, is a heck of a recruiter. So, Definitely. you know, that would be – that's a guy that's waiting in the wings. And you have to think that if that job opened up, that's one he would certainly uh, consider. So, um you know, this is a big think, year for Mike White. Do you think? Do you think? And it's funny because I mentioned the football thing. One of the things that I think made Donovan a special coach, and I think we've seen Nate Oates try to, I think we've seen him successfully do it in Alabama. Has he? He said that I used the football program to recruit for basketball. Right. I know towards the end there was that weird beef between the football and basketball players, but um, but you know, for a lot of that success, he said a lot of this was built on us recruiting players to be like. Look at this football program and just look how fun it is to be here and think about what we could be if this football program could be this great. And I think that right. in many ways, even though he got there, um, well, he was doing great even before, um, you know, he did great with Spurry was there. But um, but Herb got there. I think we saw that even get ratcheted up because Herb really took them to a different level. And we saw Billy Donovan yeah. take his team to a different level. Do you feel like is there a, is there a chance that? That has hurt Mike White's recruiting, like that Florida has been down in football for, we say down, but I mean, just not at Urban's level. I mean, I think they've probably been kind of where they've always been. Um, yeah, just not a playoff. Relatively. Yeah. But yeah, not a, not, a, not a team that can win a national championship. Not a team that's even competing for a national championship. Yeah. Um, do you think that's hurt them a little bit? Because, I mean, I think that, you know, Florida football, again, it's not it's not the same right now. The swamp is still the swamp, but it's, uh, I'm just curious if you think that that may be playing a little bit of a factor in recruiting and some of the things like that by the time people listen to this uh they may have already beaten alabama <laughs> at the swamp 
uh, or they may have lost by thirty. So we'll <laughs> we'll know we'll know uh, by the we'll time it drops. I'm but... sure they'll leave. They'll make, if they win, we'll know. We'll they'll let us know in the comments. <laughs> yeah, we'll see in the comments. But yeah, no, I think that that's not that doesn't help. Um, sometimes that you know a bad coach or a coach that doesn't that can't use that properly, it can swallow them up a little bit. Where it's like this is now a football school; it's not a basketball school, and that. That hurts, you know. I think, yeah. I, you know, you know. I think there are a lot of schools where, you know, they they want to be football schools, but they're primarily basketball schools. Like, I think even Indiana last year was kind of hurt by the fact that, and Archie Miller was hurt by the fact that Indiana football team was so good right. because, okay, like we, you know, we know, like, you know, they don't got the resources. We know resources. what's going on with Indiana basketball. <laughs> we know yeah. they don't got the resources basketball teams getting. So how are they winning? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And and so yeah, no that. That's something that 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 certainly will be paid paid attention to, um, and I, and I think, you know, Mike White. I don't know. You know, I think he's a good basketball coach, and I think that he's he was the right guy at the time to replace Billy Donovan. I definitely. Um, but I, but I I wonder if he needs a change of scenery as much as Florida does. You know, and that's something yeah. we'll we'll have to see. He definitely strikes me as the guy that gets you to the guy. You know, like especially when you're replacing again a legend. Sometimes the first hire you want, you're always trying to hire the best guy possible. But sometimes just the circumstances right. and what you need at that time, the guy you hire ends up just being the guy that gets you to the guy that's gonna win you a championship. Just like you know, Mark right. Jackson was the guy that got them to Steve Kerr when the Warriors won a championship. You know, but sometimes it's, it's, it's it stinks for all parties involved, especially the person that ends up not maybe getting the flowers they deserve. Mm-hmm. Once that team gets to that level, Mike White has really kind of held the line in terms of keeping Florida semi-relevant, and he—I think he's done a decent job. But again, we're talking about if Florida is trying to be on national championship caliber level, I don't think we've seen that on the recruiting trail. I don't think we've seen that on the court. Uh, definitely over the past four or five years, and you just wonder—you know—are they just okay with this? Some some programs would be. Some programs would be fine with just going to the tournament every year, being a pretty good team every year or so. You can maybe have a chance to win the SEC. And it'd be great, you know, if he did that. If he did this at, you know, I know Arkansas is having a really good run. At least he had a really great season with Musselman last year. But if he did this at Arkansas, they would he would never lose his job. Like they would be fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ole but, Miss. You no. Know, yeah. Ole Miss. Yeah. Ole Miss, especially. You know, Vanderbilt. You know, like yeah, if you do this, he never he never has to look for another job. You we think Florida would have more expectations, so you wonder if if they're gonna uh, if the buzzers will start to circle around there if if um, we don't see another step up. On, on uh, uh, from that program, but I want to uh, wrap the show, Kendall, talking about um, another commitment that caught my attention. Uh, it caught my attention because it's from my hometown of New York City, uh, not my home borough. This comes from the Bronx. Uh, three-star Jaquan Sanders announced he was staying close to home by joining the St. John's Red Storm. So the commitment is another local win for head coach Mike Anderson. Who I think is in what his third year at uh, at Saint, at St. John's, he faced questions when he was hired about whether or not he could recruit from New York's fertile, homegrown talent crop. Uh, that's been kind of the conversation we've always talked about with New York City: is if St. John's is going to be good, you have to be able to recruit the local area at a high level. We've seen uh, floundering success from a lot of the recent coaches that have been at St. John's, and we've seen a lot of great players from this area leave to go to other schools and, and, and St. John's has faltered really for much of this really 20 years as you know pretty much since the Ronald Tests and LeVar Postel era of uh, St. John's basketball you know shout out to Eric Barkley you know um it's been, it's been you know some really down years so 
this was an interesting recruit to me. Even though he's a three-star, a lot of people, Jawan Sanders, I think, is, is also uh, underrated, um, uh, just like most New York City guards. And when you combine this with you have Posh Alexander, standout freshman in the Big East last year. He's from Brooklyn, another three-star, unheralded kind of guy. Um, they, signed, they, they signed two guys from uh, uh, the, the Long Island, Nassau County powerhouse of Long Island Lutheran, Rafael Pinzone and uh, this, uh, Triar. So, like, you got those guys, you got Posh, and, of course, their their star player, Julian Champagny, very well could be Biggie's player of the year this year, maybe could be an All-American this season, uh, comporting himself well during the NBA pre-draft uh, process, decided to come back to school. He comes into this season, he wasn't recruited by Mike Anderson, but in some way Mike Anderson had to get him to come back and, and keep him around the program when the, the coaching change happened. And... He's a prominent star, also from Brooklyn. From uh, went to Bishop Lachlan High School. Shout out to the Catholic High School League, the league that I played in. So, I think there's some there's some excitement right now with the St. John's Red Storm. Um, there's a feeling that maybe a return to prominence could start because um, it, it didn't feel like that was possible without effectively recruiting the five boroughs of the tri-state area. So, I I, I, I pose the question to you, Kendall. Do you feel this sense of a shift in Queens with Mike Anderson that maybe I and other St. John's fans are feeling? Are you wait? You're asking me is St. John's back? I'm not doing the St. John's is back. I'm so yo. I got between Miami football and St. John's basketball. Like I'm so tired of the is this is the youth back is St. John's back. I can't. So I refuse to pose any questions about those programs in that manner. I've been dealing with those questions literally for 20 years with both programs. So that's why I phrase it as we see a shift. Not are they back, is a, <laughs> is a shift happening. Because we know what St. John's has been, and, and are, we, are we moving to a, a more positive step with what we've seen from, from the Johnnies? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think recruiting is all about momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we saw St. John's team last year that, that – you know, comporting themselves well in the beast. You know, they played well. They were scrappy. Um, you know, I think this year is going to be it's going to be big in keeping that momentum uh, steady. Uh, you know, I, it's tough. You know, I feel like like you said, New York is really good. Um, I really like Rafael Pinzone, a kid they brought in. Like you said, out of out of Lujai, out of Long Island Lutheran. Uh, a guard who's gonna who can score on all three levels, and they're gonna. Yeah, I think he's gonna play from day one as a freshman. Um, but it, it's it's tough in today's landscape. Um, you know, the Big East is a tough conference. Uh, it, it, it's tough to to recruit only locally unless you're getting everybody, or unless you're getting the best guys as well. It's tough to do that and and compete with like a you know a Creighton or a you know, a Xavier or, you know, some of these programs that are really good. Um, so, so we'll see, you know, I mean, Mike, the thing about Mike Anderson that I think we all may have missed when they, when, when, when they brought him in and what we've seen so far is that he doesn't need a bunch of five stars to, to win, you know, and that was the thing with Chris Mullen is that when they got Chris Mullen, the assumption was he would almost be like what Penny is at Memphis and that he's just going to get all the best players from New York and that if you just get all the best players from New York, it doesn't matter how good of a coach he is because you're going to win. Uh, I don't know if the recruiting has really shifted that much from Mullen to, to Mike Anderson. You're getting around the same level of player, but Mike Anderson's a more experienced, you know, college basketball coach. And, 
You know, I think we've seen. I mean, if he's getting, if he's getting guys like 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 Jaquan Sanders, and you know, if Jaquan Sanders is the next Posh Alexander, you know, or the next Julian Champagny, and they're they're getting these guys that, you know, may come in, you know, high three star, borderline four star guys, and they play, and they're they're all freshman Big East players. Then yeah, this is the shift, but I don't know if the shift is from a recruiting standpoint or if it's from a player development standpoint. Yeah, I think I think I think you made a great point about uh, the the coach being just more competent, being a large part of some of the success early success we see from Mike Anderson. And I don't it sounds disrespectful to Chris Mullen. I don't mean it disrespectfully, only because Chris Mullen has never coached before. So there's just some. Right. So when I say competence, it's just he's a, he was a rookie coach who never coached. On any level, yes, of course he, he was a great player, and yes, of course he um, he he you know he, he was a great um, executive executive or at least a good exe- an executive. I don't want to worry fans over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, he I, was an executive in the NBA. He wasn't. <laughs> yes, he was an executive in the NBA. Of course, he's he's uh, was a great a Hall of Fame level player in the NBA at St. John's and just New York City basketball icon. Uh, so let me just put respect on Chris Mullen's name in that regard. It just he was a coach who never coached before, and I think there were in many ways when we watched some of St. John's teams, some teams that we felt like had decent talent, um, they just they didn't they didn't comport themselves like a well coached team. So the results were the results. I think we see you're you're right. I think we see with Mike Anderson is he's been able to take kids, some unheralded, some guys that maybe were overlooked, and develop them and coach them up and and get them to play system basketball. And that's what we hear so much about what's important is just having an identity on a team. And we know, I mean, St. John's identity is they're going to get up and down the floor. They're going to get up in your grill. They're going to take a lot of threes. And the game's going to be a little wild. It's going to be helter-skelter. But, like, to be honest, that's how New York City basketball is. That's how you're know, watching the New York City AU game. Like, what house St. John's plays is how every New York City AU team plays here. So it all yeah. made sense in that regard. We were questioning, again, does this guy who has great ties to, to the South and has coached his entire career in the South, you know, does he fit, you know, New York City? Does he understand the importance of what it means to have kids from this city wearing St. John's across their chest? It means a lot. It just means a lot, not just from a talent standpoint, but I think it means a lot just from a, a spiritual and just an emotional standpoint for the fan base and for the, for the city. And clearly he, he values that greatly. We didn't, we didn't, he said it, but we've seen other guys say it and not really put it to, to use. He he said it and meant it. And I think we've seen some of the fruits of that labor. And what will, I think what's important is when you use the word momentum, you know, nobody's saying, oh, you come in day one and you're getting the next Felipe Lopez, you know, a guy who's a, you know, the number one yeah. player from New York City, you know, and like he's a all, all world kind of guy. And he's going to St. John's year one. I, I think that's, un, that's, that's not realistic. I think what we're, what we want as St. John's fans is, a coach who comes in, we're not getting the you know the JUCO guy you know from Texas to fill a spot, or we're not getting you know a guy from you know uh, you know I don't know like you know Georgia, uh, two star from Georgia. LA. When they, when there's a kid from New York who's been dying to play in this in, in at mass regard, who wants that spotlight, who has that hunger, who knows what it means to be at St. John's, not even getting an offer or not even getting recruited, and 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 we're seeing those guys get the respect. And, and the recognition that they deserve. So what's going to happen is, as we see those kids get into the program and have success, again, a kid like Pasha Alexander come in 
and it, well, he did. I think he was defensive player of the year last year in the Big T. He might have been freshman right. of the year. Like, have great success. You know, he could have maybe went to another school outside of the city, and and maybe he would have been great. Maybe he would have been on the bench. Who knows? But he came to St. John's and helped them win a lot of games, and they were a, a pretty solid team last year, a surprise team last year. Champagny, he's going to work out for the NBA teams um, after playing in St. John's. That may entice the next top guy out of New York City, that yeah. five-star guy, well, that, that top 50 guy that says, well, you know what? There are some New York kids out that went down there and really balled out. Like, maybe St. John's is the place for me. The problem is we haven't well, people seen – People forget sometimes. Besides, besides Shamari Pons, we haven't seen anyone else really in that kind of – in that kind of you know space in a really long time. Yeah, and they're also bringing in uh, Tariq Coburn, right? Yeah, uh, a kid from uh, yeah. <laughs> kid I actually went to school with. Yeah, yeah, went to high school Yeah, and he's a good, a really good you know, three-point local shooter. kid from from Hastra. They're gonna look. So the, the kid from Soriano that, also the kid from uh, I think he went to I think he was from uh, Fordham. He, he's transferring as well. They they when you see what people forget is that you have. When you have these guys, sometimes we think in this prism of just five stars and, you know, USA basketball. Oh, this kid played, you know, with this kid at USA basketball or, you know, like Jalen Green played with Josh Christopher and saying AAU team for a weekend. But, like, when you're talking about a local footprint, like, if Polish Alexander balls out and he was a three-star kid from the city, he, I don't know, I don't know off the top of my head what AAU program he played for. But if Pat Alexander played for the New York Rens or he played for, you know, the PSA Cardinals or the New York Gauchos, whoever, whatever AAU program, he's played with the next five star that's that's coming up out of New York. Or he's played, you know, for the next four years, he's played or his AAU coach is going to have another five star that maybe he didn't play with. But that AAU coach can speak to, oh, yeah, you know, my last guy who's not as good as you or maybe wasn't as good as you in high school is not going to the NBA or is now one of the best players in the Big East. That stuff matters. Exactly. That stuff helps your recruiting. You can't just exactly. recruit out of left field all over the. Unless you're Duke, you can do that. Right. But yeah, you know, because then again, then you're talking about USA basketball. You're talking about all this other stuff that, for a school like St. John's, those connections and you know that track record matters. Yeah, exactly. Because we've seen too many really good players, guys that aren't all Americans, but good players go to other schools and they're playing great. Like how how St. How does this guy leave New York City? Like. Yeah. Or, you know, guys who, you know, maybe from Long Island, you're like, how did they leave, you know, you know the island? How, how did they get yeah. all the way to, you know, like, you know, Corbello in Illinois? You know, like, some of these places, you're just like, like <laughs> it's it, St. Um, John's is not Alvarado. even the... Alvarado. Yeah. Tech. Yeah, Alvarado. I mean, come on. That's, what was it, Christ the King? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. like, so... Moose is say another Christ the King kid. Right. Obviously, exactly. a guy like Precious Tua, like you, you lose those guys. Come on. And again, you want to know, you want to know how you get those guys, those five star guys, a guy, a kid like Kyle Filipowski. Again, those guys work out, got to work out on the lower level, and those those guys at the lower level need to have better experiences so that you can get the five star guys. That's how you build. That's how you build a real recruiting region. That's what Rutgers is building. That's what definitely Seton Hall built at a time. You know, when Kevin Saint, Willard yeah, first got Yeah, and St. John was asleep. And Kevin Willard was How like, did Kevin Willard get yeah. Miles Powell? It's because Kadeem Carrington had a great had a great career at Seton Hall. It's because Isaiah Whitehead made it to the NBA. It's because Angel Delgado mm-hmm. had a great career at Seton Hall. When those guys all hit, they were able to get whoever they wanted out of New Jersey. Right. Exactly. And that's and that's that ends up being uh, you know, 
the the way it's kind of said as you build you're, you're really recruiting footprint in this area of you know the new york city area and kevin willard not a new york legend no. not a new jersey legend no his dad was coaching at holy cross yeah you know i mean this isn't you know we're not talking about like I don't know, we're not talking about you know God Sham God is coaching at Eden Hall, <laughs> you know, or you know somebody that I'm expecting, you know. Oh yeah, nobody. Rod, Rod, Rod Strickland, you know. Yeah, yeah. Rod Strickland, yeah. <laughs> Mark Jackson. What are we talking right. about? Kevin Willard. Yeah. Like it's not about you know we don't need the big we don't need the next New York celebrity to come and coach St. John's for them to get guys out of New York. Yeah, I think this next season will be important. I think there will be expectations for St. John to compete at a high level in the Big East. I don't want. Like I, some people pick them to beat. I think some people are already picking them to win the Big East. I don't. I don't want Other, to put that pre- pressure on them. But they definitely uh, a fifth or sixth, re- you know, sixth finish yeah. in the Big East is not acceptable this year. Yeah. I think that there are people who think Other, they should do much better. Other kids that I, off the top of my head that I'm thinking about was I mean they got none of those Jelly Fam kids, man. I mean oh, Isaiah yeah. Washington, I mean, Washington should have gotten Javon Quinterly. Quinterly is you balling know. out in Alabama. As Reed. You know, like all of those guys ended up going to different schools. A whole, a whole movement that originated in New York City. St. John's yeah. had no in, no impact. Now, no in the NIL, in the NIL era, I would have said those kids would have had a would have would have made more money if they would have went to a school like St. John's. Yeah. Um, but you know, they were a couple of years too late. I mean, Quinterly's still playing, so he he'll be able to profit off it. But yeah, oh yeah, um, he better. Bring out all the old <laughs> Jelly Fan swag he's got and everything. I hope he's cashing on everything. Because, man, like, you want to talk about a kid who, in, in, all that whole group that, like, really absolutely, you know, didn't get to, you know, really monetize that, that moment that they created. Uh, so it was unfortunate. I'm hoping that he can get anything out of that. Because, yeah, Jelly Fan was a thing for sure. But uh, that's going to do it for this edition, the 10th episode of the Uncommitted Podcast. Of course, if you like this podcast, if you're watching it on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, New Generation Media. We do a basketball recruiting podcast every month. So make sure if you like this conversation, subscribe to the YouTube channel. This podcast is also on our audio platform. So uh, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in as well. Thank you guys so much again for checking this out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.